have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm number 33. Psalm number 33. You may recognize this from our Old Testament reading last week. Psalm 33, verses 1 through 11. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make a melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathered the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can say these words. That you do indeed frustrate the plans of the world. You are the one that's in control. And we thank you that we can praise you. We thank you that you call us to worship you. We thank you that Christ came to seek and save what was lost so that you could form us into a people that worship you. I pray now that you would direct this time, that you would strengthen our worship as we come to this psalm, as we see what you would have us to see. Please conform us to a people who worship you in a way that is worthy of you. In Christ I pray, amen. You may be seated. So earlier this morning, we sang holy, 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 and that third verse in holy, holy, holy always strikes me. It says, holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy. There is none beside thee, perfect in power and love and purity. For many of us... Um, the darkness may be hiding the Lord from us. For many of us, our sinful hearts may not be seeing the Lord. But this is how the Lord is described. Perfect in power, in love, and purity. And I hope that's what we are able to see in the text this morning. I hope that we are able to see the Lord. That he will shine light on the darkness. And that we will worship him as he commands us to worship him, and we'll see that in the text this morning. So the main point of the sermon is that the Lord has called a people to sing his praise. The Lord has called a people to sing his praise. So the first part of that, he has called a people to be his people, and that people are intended to sing his praise. And we are those people, and this psalm is for us. 
And we're going to look at how his command is clear. If you have your outline, these are all in the outline. His command is clear, and we're going to see that. He commands us to praise him, to sing his praise, and that his character is worthy. His character is perfectly worthy of our praise. We have every reason to praise him. And we're also going to see that his covenant is forever. As he has called us to be a people, he has, he has maintained his covenant that he has maintained throughout redemptive history. And we're going to see that as well in the text. But first, let's look at his command. So worship is not optional. The Lord requires your worship. Have you ever got an invitation in the mail that says your presence is requested? This is not simply an invitation to worship. Your worship is not just requested of you by the Lord, but instead it's a summons, more like a jury summons, if you've ever gotten one of those. Your presence is required. There's a big difference between requested and required. And the Lord requires of us our worship. And so in the psalm this morning, we have imperatives to praise him. We have these, these statements. They're imperatives. They are commands. Sing with a shout for joy. Give thanks with the lyre. With the ten-stringed harp, make a melody to him. Sing a new song to him. These are imperatives for the church to praise him. Let's, let's take a moment and let's, let's consider these. Sing with a shout for joy in verse 1. Praise is becoming for the believer. It is beautiful to the believer, it says. If you have the ESV, it probably said befitting in your translation. Some other translations may say becoming. Becoming is actually a great way to translate this word because the word actually means beautiful and it means fitting at the same time. So becoming actually captures that very well. Praise is becoming to the upright. And we see that in the text because in just a moment it will refer to the Lord's word as upright. It uses the same word to describe the Lord's word as it does the people. So as the Lord makes us a righteous people, praise of the righteous God is befitting and beautiful. This is, this is a good thing. It is a joyful thing for us to do, to praise the Lord. And if you ever have those moments of clarity when the darkness is not hiding the Lord, but you see the beauty of the Lord, you will sing joyfully to the Lord because it is beautiful. It is fitting. Give thanks with the lyre, with the ten-string harp, sing praises or make a melody to him. I'm intentionally changing the structure of the words there from what's in your translation because in the Hebrew it does that. It says, give thanks with the lyre, with a ten-string so you have basically give thanks, then with the instrument, and then with the instrument, make a melody. And so that structure there is kind of making sort of a V shape towards the instrument there. It's highlighting the pomp and the, the, the glory there of our worship. That's the picture that the psalmist wants us to see here. He's actually making a restatement there. So he's not saying, he's not pointing out this is an instrument you should use and this is an instrument that you should use. But instead, he's pointing out some instruments that to be used in worship because we are making a big deal of our worship. This is a worship that is going to be visible to the world. This is a worship that is audible to the world and is to be seen by the world. And so we come together and we worship as a congregation. And it, we want it to be strong. We want it to be forceful. And we, we accompany it with music. 
with singing and instrument. There is something also powerful, though, about a cappella singing, and that's a whole other subject, but um, it is such a beautiful thing to hear voices, and it is such a beautiful thing to hear them strongly sung. Uh, when Adam was giving the, the update about General Assembly, one of the comments was about the worship. And when there was such a gathering, and it was so strong, and there are so many voices, and probably instruments as well, I would imagine, uh, so much sound directed at the worship of God. That is what the psalmist is trying to create here. He is trying to say, sing strongly to your Lord. It is a big deal. And then it says, Sing to him a new song. And this particular phrase is probably the most difficult to address out of all of these because there's different interpretations of what that might mean. It might simply mean sing, sing with freshness in your worship. But uh, scholars like Trimper Longman would argue that this is actually speaking about a victory song. Sing a new song to him, a new victory song. And then some take it to be more of an eschological thing. So in redemptive history, at Christ's Return, singing a new song like you see in Revelation. I don't know if that's necessarily what the psalmist has in mind. Um, I like Trimper Lawman's uh, assessment that this is a victory song that we are singing in the church. We are singing a victory because he has redeemed us. And it is a new song, um, also in a redemptive historical lens, right? We have a new song of Christ's resurrection. And then we'll have a new song of Christ's return. He is continuously working in the church continuously giving us things to sing about. And that's what you see throughout Scripture. Think about the song of Moses, Exodus 15. Our psalm this morning alludes to that, that very thing a few times. In the song of Moses, you have the people delivered at the Red Sea crossing there. And it's this monumentous event. And then it's celebrated in song, the deliverance of the Lord celebrated in song. And then you have, time and time again, things like this that happen. I have a few that I want to list out for us, but there are so many more. You have the Song of Moses. Then again, in Numbers, you have the Song of Wells. The Lord provides water to the people, and they celebrate it. They celebrate the Lord's provision. Again, in Judges, you have Deborah's song, and the people have had victory. They have, they've had Oppression, and now they've had deliverance from the Lord. And I don't know if you remember what happens prior to that, but uh, a woman named Jael takes a tent peg and actually nails a man's head to the ground. It was a very violent victory. Our third through fifth grade class would love that. That we uh, when when we studied when we studied um, <laughs> when we studied about Jezebel's blood splattering. That was that was a highlight of the semester. So uh, I, was, I was a little squeamish, but, but, but that, and that's, that's there in the scripture for us to see how the Lord has delivered us. So their response was actually a good response, to, because we aren't to be afraid of these things. But instead, this, 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 was, this is a victory for the people. They, they would be glad to see this in the text. And so we sing, we sing celebration in the, the song of Deborah. And then you have... The new song of, of Moses where it comes up again in Revelation and the song of the Lamb there. So you have song, song after song after song in Scripture. So we're commanded to sing to him a new song because he is at work in his people. So how should we praise then? 
we were commanded to praise. Well, how are we to praise? Well, it says joyfully. We sing with resounding joy, not sleepy or bored when we come to worship, right? Uh, but passionately instead. Uh, I have a few things to say about that. One, one is, this says something about how we prepare for worship. If we come to worship and we're just exhausted from Saturday, how, how does our worship come out? So it's something that we should consider. But uh, another thought I had about singing joyfully and resoundingly was uh, I think I may have used this man in a previous sermon illustration, but there was a man at my former church that could barely speak. He just had a whispery rasp of voice. I, I won't imitate him because it'll sound like I'm making fun of him. But he could, he could barely get words out, and he often sat behind me in worship, and I could hear him singing, and I loved it. It blessed my heart every time I heard. I'm about to start crying. Sorry. He gave it every ounce of the air in his lungs just to try to praise our God. And we don't even try. We're not even connected. I need a moment. But his, his whispers were shouts to the Lord. And may we shout to the Lord as he has commanded us to. I think I'm going to have to move on to another point so I can get, get it back together. We're to worship skillfully. Music doesn't come natural to most of us. And so we put an effort out. And even our skilled musicians, they practice and they learn. And we give glory to the I'm going to be a wreck the whole service. So get ready. And we give it all we have because he is worth it. He is worthy. And so we bring skill to our worship, and then we are commanded to do it skillfully, not half-hearted. This is going to be a short sermon. <laughs> I, um, the first sermon I ever preached was my grandfather's funeral, and I was a wreck until I got to the scripture. And as soon as I got to the scripture, I could lock in. But now it's the scripture that's making me cry, so we're in trouble. <laughs> But we have to develop skills. And so one of the things we're doing as a church is next week, right? Did you see that in the announcements? We are working on our harmonies. We want to sing skillfully, joyfully. We want to fulfill these commandments. And so we make an effort. And so that's why if you've seen that, that announcement about coming before worship to practice um, and to learn more about singing hymns, that's, that's why we do that, in obedience to Scripture. Okay, thank I think the Lord's had mercy. Thank you for praying for me. And we sing out of gratitude. We sing thankfully. Is our gratitude reflected in our worship? Does it fuel us as we worship? I pray that it does. It should be reflected in our praise. Um, think about the Israelites as they are delivered, and they, they sing this song of Moses, and, and they go on through their journeys. And then if you keep reading in Exodus won't be too long before they're grumbling about the manna, grumbling about the very thing the Lord has provided for them, saying, we want meat, we want more. Are, are we a people filled with gratitude or grumbling? Our worship should be filled with thankfulness, and it should be regular. This is a continuous thing we do, right? 
We, we, we praise as a congregation every week regularly, but it should also be individually. So corporately regular, but also in your life, sing to the Lord. Give glory to the Lord. Praise is befitting to the upright. Let's go back to that. He transforms us into a people to worship him. And the upright are going to be concerned about the Lord because he has brought us into conformity with his word. He has written his law on our heart. And so as a people with the law written on our heart, it is befitting to worship the Lord, as the psalmist says. As he refines us, we long for more and more of his righteousness. And his praises will pour out as we grow. Likewise, the wicked are disgusted by his righteousness. And the Proverbs tell us this. Uh, Proverbs 29 makes a point to say that basically the, the righteous hate what is wicked and the wicked hate what is righteous. And so what the psalmist is telling us, as a people made righteous in the Lord, it is befitting, it is beautiful, it is appropriate for us to worship our Lord. So there's a natural pairing with the church and the worship of the Lord. Let's, let's keep a, moving ahead. His word is upright. His love, and he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is filled with the steadfast love. All of these things are said in our psalm. We have an informed worship. The Christian worship experience is not something that is done in ignorance. But instead, the scriptures reveal to us our God, whom we are to worship. We worship from a standpoint of an educated people. We know who it is that we praise. We worship a God who has revealed himself to us. The scriptures teach us that he is faithful. He does not change. It's going to be all day. So the scriptures direct us to worship our God to focus on our God and not ourselves, because his character is worthy. And that is the basis for the singing of his praise, his upright word, his faithful work, as we see here. His word is upright. There is nothing twisted. There is nothing bad about his word. And his work is faithful. We'll return to that concept a little bit more as we look at how his covenant is forever. His word is powerful. As, you, as we read through the psalm, we saw several elements about the power of his word. By the word, verse 6, by the word, the Lord um, makes, makes the heavens. By his, the breath of his mouth, he makes their host. He, makes this, he spoke this universe into being. By his word, he gathers the sea as a heap. And he puts the, store, the deeps into their storehouses. So what we see here is a very powerful Lord. We see his power over creation. He is sovereign over all of his creation. He has the absolute say over all of his creation. And we see his power in the, the event at the, the Red Sea there as, as he brings the waters up. And then he brings them back down on behalf of his people. He speaks and is done. All of his words come to be. For his word is upright and faithful. 
And that word became flesh. And that word was upright and faithful. Church, as you worship, remember your Savior who is upright and faithful. Who frustrates the counsel of the wicked. But his counsel stands from generation to generation. And Christ is worthy of our praise. Remember how even the rocks would cry out if we were to cease. Christ is faithful. He is righteous. And he is evidence of the steadfast love of the Lord. So we sing his praise because we have much to sing about. And we see his faithfulness to his people. Generation after generation, the church is continuing to grow. Saint after saint, we see his faithfulness to us. And he is, his name, Emmanuel. I will be their God, and they will be my people. God with us, Emmanuel. There are several reminders of the Lord's covenant commitment in our text. Let's take a look at those. First, I, I just mentioned Christ. Christ is the greatest evidence of the Lord's covenant faithfulness to his people, that he provided the word who became flesh, who came to seek and save the lost, to grow his church. His covenant is forever. So let's, let's trace the covenant a little bit. With Abraham's family, there's a promise made. And then you see that family grow, and it becomes families. And the Lord takes those families with the laws given at Sinai and makes a nation. And let's continue. Now that nation grows. And that's, that brings us to the time that this psalm was written. And then let's, let's come to the time of Christ. Now the Lord is taking the nations, plural, and making a family, singular. So as we trace the history of the Lord's covenant, his covenant is forever. His covenant has not gone away. But what we see here may look a little different, right? It may look a little different than it did in history's in uh, Israel's time in history. But what we see now is that the nations have been brought in and made a family in the covenant of the Lord. And he's been faithful generation after generation to this covenant. And time and time again, he's remembered it. So his work has done his faithfulness. And the earth is filled with his steadfast love. And that steadfast love is a reoccurring theme throughout the scripture. The steadfast love of the Lord. Um, if you're a Hebrew scholar, that word hes- heseth. It's the steadfast love of the Lord. And he, he does love his people. And he is, for that, worthy to be praised. And the plans of his heart and his loving kindness, he has called us. He has called us to be a people for the purpose of worshiping him. He has the power to maintain his people. And that should come out in our worship as well. Do we worship him as a majestic God, as a powerful God, the sovereign of all creation, the one who can frustrate the strongest of powers in this world and bring them to nothing, the one who can sustain the weakest of people in the world. 
So the Lord has called us. This should invoke joy and thankfulness in our singing. It should demand worth and skill in our worship. And his faithfulness should bring a new song to our lips. He commands his people to praise, and his people desire to praise him because he alone is worthy. He is powerful. He is upright. And he remembers his covenant with his people. His steadfast love is forever. So the worship called for in this psalm is a worship that is filled with fervor. It is a worship that is majestic because we worship a God who is glorious. It is a worship that is beautiful because the Lord we worship is beautiful. And he should be worshipped. And he calls us, he calls his church to be the primary force worshiping him in this world. We are blessed to be called that people. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you for the grace that is in Christ, that you sought us out, that you took a lost people who were not a people, and you made them into your people. Help us to worship you. Help us to be mentally present when we're here. Please help us to not be distracted by whatever it is we want to do next, but help us to be present. Help us to be attentive. Help us to worship you in faithfulness, Help us to worship you, informed by your scriptures of who you are, so that we would worship you rightly. In Christ we pray. Amen.